This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This song will become the anthem of your underground. You're too flushed out. Hey everybody. Today's guest is lead vocalist and guitarist Chris Conley from New Jersey's favorite sons, Saves the Day. Together we break down the inspiration, writing, recording, release, and impact of their classic fan favorite song, At Your Funeral, the lead-off track from the 2001 album, Stay What You Are. I mentioned to Chris that, to me, this song is three minutes of pure pop bliss. He filled me in on the story of why they chose to work with a new producer on this record, after working with another one on all their previous projects. It wasn't by choice but it was a chance encounter that we both feel threw the band into another direction and elevated who they were as both songwriters and as a band. Chris shares a deeply personal and frightening story as to why his lyrics around this time took a very dark turn that followed him all the way through his 20s. He also told the story about a night that was meant to be a fun writing and jam session with another highly respected band that turned into a big nightmare when too much weed was smoked, mailboxes were smashed, and zero music was written at all funny that this turned into the main inspiration behind the lyrics. Oh, and Chris credits a creative writing class he took while growing up as being hugely beneficial to him as a lyricist, something I've never heard before, but super awesome nonetheless. For all this and a ton more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chris makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chris makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chico, California. I think that's home of is it is it called the Senator Theater? Yeah, the Senator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Sen. Have you played there? We played there once. I think with Real Big Fish. Yeah. Oof, that's the that's about as many times as you need to play there. I, that might be that might be one too many times. Yeah, I don't remember it being particularly good. I do remember a place called Brickworks in Chico. We used to play a lot. Oh, Brickworks was amazing. Had such a cool vibe. Yeah. The owner of that shut it down uh, after he went on this uh, vacation to some like beach resort. And he had this epiphany. Hey, I'm going to turn this venue into a bar that's called the beach. And I'm going to bring sand in. And it's like this. It's like a beachy (laughs) bar now. That was a really amazing venue to play. I love and they had the balcony, but it was inside a sort of mid-sized bar. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. We we uh were on tour years ago with the Ataris and Sugar Cult. We played there. Uh that was one of the first times. I think we played there one or two times after. And then then it was then it, like you said, it was just gone, which was a bummer. It was uh, such a great venue. And uh and that was so hilarious too. I don't know if you remember there there was a place in Kansas City at some point and a place in Long Island that uh you know, the, it's always the places as far away from the ocean as possible where they would cart in the sand and fake palm trees. I remember <laughs> I remember that place in Long Island. I remember that joint, Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it was kind of like a, a a thing there for a while. And I, 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 of course, being from Florida, we'd show up and go, "Oh, oh for great. real, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> we, we're trying, we're trying to leave this. Trying to get away from home, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I want to give a little backstory here for the listeners on Saves the Day. Uh, the band uh, hails from Princeton, New Jersey. How how Ivy League of you guys? Oh, I know, I know. If only we had chosen that. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were formed in the mid 1990s. Uh, their debut album "Can't Slow Down" was released in 1998 through Equal Vision Records. Uh, of the original lineup, Chris uh, is the sole remaining member. The band recorded two consecutive albums with the same members: 1999's "Through Being Cool" and 2001's "Stay What You Are." Today, we're breaking down "At Your Funeral," the lead-off track from "Stay What You Are," which was released through Vagrant Records. It remains one of the best-selling records from that label's catalog. Uh, during this period, and due to the success of the record, Saves a Day made appearances on Conan O'Brien and Craig Kilborn, in addition to touring extensively overseas and spending a number of summers on the Vans Warp Tour, where we eventually met and, and uh, hung out many summers together. Uh, in total, the band has released nine albums, the most recent being the aptly titled Nine, released in October 2018, which found the band coming once again uh, full circle, joining their original record label, Equal Vision. So... Take take me back, Chris, to uh, to this time period. Do you recall writing at your funeral? Yeah, yeah, I remember all of the details of it very vividly. It started off as uh, the chord progression for the chorus is uh, really simple. It's just G D A. That was something that our guitar player Ted was fooling around with, and he, Ted and David, the other guitar player, the two guitar players, always wanted to write songs because I was the sole songwriter, but. So they always wanted to get riffs and whatnot on the records. And I never liked anything that they wrote. And so it was frustrating for them. But one day Ted showed me this GDA thing and he had like a two note lick that he was doing at the turnaround. And I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, so I took that home with me. He showed that to me at our friend PJ Ransone's house apartment in New York City. PJ went on to be Ziggy in the wire. He's the guy, this guy passed out on the back of the couch through being cool. So we all used to hang out and he, he showed me this riff. We're all hanging out at PJ's house and I took it home. I was at my dad's farm, maybe the next day and in New Jersey. And there was this shitty old piano in the corner of the living room. That's all completely out of tune. And I was sitting there trying to think of a way to incorporate Ted's riff uh, into a song. But the, the, the chord progression itself, I had to find a way to get into, the, into his chord progression in a satisfying way because his progression didn't really start in the key of, the key is, the key is D major, but he's yeah. starting it on a G. So it's sort of a leading progression. You can't really you know, start the rest of the song with G. It doesn't want to land it wants to land on G only when it gets to the chorus. Yeah. So anyway, it was really fun for me to try to figure out like, okay, what progression can I use so that we can find our way to that chorus and have it be satisfying and feel, you know, cool. So um, I basically just came up with a verse and pre-chorus chord progression that led into his GDA chord progression for the chorus. And I was uh, playing around with D major A, E minor G, it's a little bit kind of like the Beatles' She Loves You progression. A little, uh-huh. a little bit like that.
gotten seriously into the Beatles. So I was like really, I was into progressions like that. And I was also learning a lot about the guitar because I was coming from being just like a punk rock hardcore kid. But I had started to become really curious about the guitar as I grew as a songwriter. So, you know, like a, that kind of chord progression wouldn't have shown up on Can't Slow Down or Through Being Cool. It's a little bit more like real music. It's not just p- punk rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> I kind of feel like you guys were finding who you were as a band by this record. Definitely big time. And uh, yeah, I was growing so much as a songwriter and I was just having a lot of fun. So anyway, I was sitting in that living room and I had the progression, but it's also mildly boring. You know, D, A, E minor, G. It's a very standard chord progression. So I had the chord progression and the melody, but I took it over to the piano and I just started playing these single notes Yeah, that would like hang in the air as I was singing the melody. And I was like, that's cool. The single notes, the D and then a C sharp and then E. Uh, I'm playing around with the with the chords, but only using single notes. So I'm doing E to E to D, which would be an E minor seven if you played both of those at the same time. Then a G that had um, a G with a F sharp on top of it. So I'm, that's a G major seven. So I'm starting to get funky yeah. with it, but that's really fun on a piano because how all the li- the notes are laid out. Because I think if you listen to the intro guitar part, all it is is the progression of the verse stripped down to this strange single note lick and so i took what i was doing on the piano and put it on a guitar and so that's the the intro of the song is the chord progression of the verse but just played in an interesting way and i just loved how the note the single notes hung in the air as the melody was working its way around it but what was also fun was that chord progression d a e minor g ends in G, right? So you can't go straight into the chorus ending on G, starting on G. So the chord, the, yeah. the verse ended on, on G and then the chorus, Ted's chorus started on G and I was like, well, that's not cool. So then I wrote a little pre-chorus in order to work our way back around so we could land on that G and it would be really satisfying. And I love that part because oh. you go A, A to E minor to B minor back to A to set up for the G. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Thanks, man. It's perfect. Thank you. It's perfect. Thank you so much. And that's the first time I'm using, I didn't know jazz chords yet, but my ears were stretching for that stuff. So when I, so in the turnaround, it's A major, E minor, and then the B minor is a B minor seven. Mm-hmm. And for me at that, at that time, that was really cool. You know, because I didn't even, I didn't really know what I was doing yet on the guitar. It wasn't until during recording Say What You Are that Rob Schnaff, the producer, started to say, hey, I see what you're doing on the guitar. Let me teach you a little bit of theory. And then, so he started to show me what I was trying to do on the guitar. And he's like, that's cool what you're doing there. That's the reason that works is because, you know, one plus two is three. Well, let me let me stop you there, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I had uh, written a little bit down about Rob Schnaff. Uh, in the early 90s, he started, uh, which might possibly be the best name for a record label ever, oh, yeah, Bong, Bong Load Records. <laughs> Bong Load Records. Yeah, and he discovers Beck. 
yeah, he discovers Beck, and these guys put out uh, Beck's breakthrough uh, breakout album, Mellow Gold, yeah. which I just found absolutely incredible. Because you know, you have you had worked with Steve Evans for a couple records, yeah. went with Rob for a couple records, and then ended up working with with Steve again. But where did Rob come in in this process? Was it a label suggestion through Vagrant, or is he someone that you admired, or how how that happen? We found Rob because Steve was busy with Sepultura. Ah, and. Uh, we were I had I was on fire writing songs and I we had so many songs that we were like itching to get to go record. We'd been on the road to, uh, supporting through being cool for you know a year and a half or so, and I'd been writing all these songs and I wanted to get right back in the studio. And obviously we would go with Steve because it was such an incredible working experience meeting him and and becoming friends with him on not only Can Slow Down and Through Being Cool, but we also did the, our very first recording of Saves the Day with the Saves the Day demo with Steve in a single day, one day at Tracks East in 1997. I loved Steve. I was like, I, n- I never would have wanted to work with another producer ever again, but he was busy. And we had just signed to Vagrant and they were psyched to get a record out. Steve was gonna be busy for six months. So we started the hunt for producers. And I was like, I don't want to work with anybody else. So Vagrant suggested, I don't know, 20, 30 producers. You know how that goes when you're like... Oh, well, absolutely. You know, and, and, and real quick, Chris, at that time, I mean, you had the Neil Avrons. Exactly. You had the Rob Cavallos, all the guys that were doing the pop punk and the, those kinds of records. And this guy seems just like a, a left field choice. Yeah. And I think that's a credit to Vagrant because Vagrant could tell that we were evolving at a rapid pace. And so they were suggesting a lot of indie producers. So um, Rob was one of those indie producers. Like we got in touch with uh, people that produced Ween records and stuff, stuff like that. And so we were looking for something that was kind of out of left field because we felt like the sound had evolved. And also the chords themselves were becoming more complicated in terms of the composition of the notes. And so if you try to play like a super gnarly distorted guitar with like a B minor seven, for example, you lose that color note because it's just too crunchy. Yes. So one of the things that I loved about Rob when we first met Rob, he's like, you know, you're using really cool chords. You're going to have to dial back the distortion. Um, so yeah. that, that was intriguing. And the, so the first, I didn't like any of the other producers that we met. I was just like, this is not the vibe. But Rob and I got on the phone and we, as soon as we started talking, we realized we liked the same music. He grew up in the 70s liking Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. Those were my two favorite bands. And so we connected instantly on Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. And the reason that he loved those bands, he said nobody else was doing guitar work like them in the 70s. And that's what I was interested in as well. And he started telling me really cool stories about like, a jazz guitar player who got in a car accident and got amnesia and forgot how to play guitar and retaught himself how to play guitar and found all these cool tricks, cool tricks on the guitar, the neck of the guitar that he didn't know before he lost his memory. Wow. (laughs) Um, And so right away, Rob already knew. And he also said, he told me the reason he wanted to work with us is because he listened to the first album, Can't Slow Down. And then he listened to Through Being Cool. And he was amazed at the evolution. So he, yeah. so he thought, okay, like that's why I wanted to work with you. So right away when Rob and I started talking on the phone, we were nerding out about guitar. And, so, and I, I just liked him a lot. Like I was like, oh, wow, cool. 
he gets what we're doing. You brought up such a good point too, Chris, you about the guitars uh, when you were talking about, you know, toning them back from the distortion. Well, as a younger musician, I thought the more distortion, the guitars were going to sound bigger. Yeah. And I've learned that it's just the opposite. Yeah. If you can get just an overdriven, you know, you listen to Highway to Hell by ACDC. Oh there's my not God. much there, but man, oh. they're, they're so heavy and they're Power. so thick, especially, especially when you get them in stereo yeah. uh, guitar mode. And, uh, I never would have thought that I had, I've had conversations with, with Stefan from Descendants about this till three in the morning in, in the past where he's just so about that. And his guitar tone is almost completely clean at this point in his career. That's so true. But powerful. Oh God. He's a ripper. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you had that, uh, that experience because you know you were really into Steve Evans and I know as a young musician man you get you get stuck with something it's scary to pivot and I love Steve so much and that's why we did two records with Steve we did two records with Rob and we only went to Rob because Steve was busy after we made Stay Where You Are and In Reverie with Rob we were going to go make uh, our album called Sound the Alarm and Rob was busy so <laughs> so and I was about to become a dad and we had this window of time where we need to record this album now so that then I could have some time to like become a new dad before the, as the album's getting turned around at the label so that we can go on tour. And so Rob, it wasn't gonna work out now with Rob. So immediately I called Steve and I was like, can we work together again? Because I just, that's what, it's all about that, the relationship, I think, you know? Like the reason mm -hmm. that we fell in with Rob was because of those phone calls, you know, like uh, connecting with him as a person and also like a loving Elliot Smith. You know, I, lo I love the sound of his his material and everything, but it was really the connection with Steve. It was the same thing because Steve could see that I was just this little kid, just super excited about music. With Steve, it was just that same kind of bond. Like when when he when I told him, yo, I just. I just discovered the Beatles. He's like, you did? <laughs> That's my favorite band. And immediately that day at lunch, we're driving a Wawa. And he's like, I have a five CD changer in my car and four out of five of those are Beatles records. And we're driving yeah. around. He's telling me about the Beatles. And it was just that connection, you know, that the same thing where when I finally hooked up with Rob, it was like, oh my God, you love Led Zeppelin too? And Aerosmith? A lot of people wouldn't have... <laughs> Admit that at that time. That's awesome. You said a couple of things. You said you looked young, and uh, all anybody has to do is go look uh, at the At Your Funeral video. Uh, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. You look like you're 15, it's, man. It's really, it's really nutty. It's wild. I mean, I, I was a very young, young guy. Yeah, we got signed to Equal Vision. We made the demo tape with Steve when I was a junior in high school. It's so then we, then we got signed, and we made the first album winter break of our senior year. So we were really, really friggin' young. Well, a couple of things before we dive into uh, the actual song. You know, I, I can't remember if I had told you this before. Something tells me maybe at one drunken uh, warp Tour barbecue I did, but uh, I was playing at your funeral on a solo tour of mine uh, back around 2014, That's amazing. Yeah, this is one of my favorite songs probably of all time. Oh. Um, definitely from your band. I mean, this... Yeah, I think it might be the best Saves the Day song. Well, you know, it's good. It, at least you have a, the best song. Some bands don't have a best song. So <laughs> at least you have this one, and, and, and you have a lot of great songs. But this song, and you mentioned about the keyboard, and that's uh, piano. It's something that I haven't really talked too much about in this show. I find myself going to the keys a lot for parts and translating it to guitar it's because so I know where cool. my hand's going to... I know where my hand's going to go on the guitar, but but I'm not a great keyboard player, Same. which is actually good totally. because I don't know where I'm going on the keyboard. So I find things by accident and translate it to the guitar. You guys have, you know, had have two guitarists as well, which 
talking about those overtones and those chords, like when you're hitting those those single notes on the piano, one can hang over while the guitar player is doing another note, mm. which is adding to basically this kaleidoscope of, of notes of what you're talking about. It's like here, an orchestra which, where you have right, somebody over right. here, the violins just playing single notes and then you got like the bassoons and the and the cellos and, and everybody, but all all together, it's this cacophony. Yeah, and as far as you saying this is a very rudimentary, simple song, well, a lot of the Beatles were, songs were too, but it was the nuances within them. Oh, and the absolutely. Nuances in this, the nuances in this song, just this beginning thing, and you want to talk about, there's something eerie, definitely about the video. The video's trippy, but there's something like eerie behind the song and it just evokes an emotion but yet it's poppy the lyrics are dark and i can't wait to get into those here but the song's three minutes and nine seconds and i swear chris this song goes by in a minute and a half yeah it really does it feels like a really short song goes by so fast there's no bridge it's like where's the bridge it doesn't need a bridge yeah it's like the perfect little pop song and i mean that with with everything i have man thank you man that is because i had gotten obsessed with the beatles and also that is also um something Rob encouraged was like, okay, so if you're, let's say your song does have four parts at your funeral, for example, it's, there is a verse, a pre-chorus and a chorus. That's three parts is about as me- as much as you could possibly need. If you try to cram a bridge in there, it's too much information. And so then I started to get really into trimming the fat. You know, to mm-hmm. only have like the the absolutely mo- the most essential elements of the songs in there without any anything going off the rails, so you lose the attention of the listener. Yeah, I mean, the only thing in this soup's a bone, man. That's it. There's no fat on, yeah. on this tuna. <laughs> yeah. There, there really, yeah. there really isn't. Yeah. There, there's, and, and I say this wholeheartedly. There, there's not much to this song. But the sum of it is a huge little piece piece of music. And I and, and I want to jump in here. Um, as we've talked about, the song's in the key of D. And it starts out with those single notes on a clean guitar. That's what you hear first off. The first second is that is that uh, that first note. And then in the middle of the verse, it starts playing chords. Yeah. Lightly strummed chords around those single notes. Yeah. Which just is so subtle, but but so perfect. Um, right off the top is the first lyric. This song will be the anthem of your underground You're too flushed down Getting high in the back room If I floated out your house Do you think you'd make it out? Or would you burn This song will become the anthem of your underground. You're two floors down, getting high in the back room. If I flooded out your house, do you think you'd make it out? Or would you burn up before the water filled your lungs? So that last line I want to talk about too real quick. I'm considering, or would you burn up before the water filled your lungs, is almost a pre-chorus. It is. That is. I think that is the pre-chorus, right? That's what I'm calling the pre-chorus. And, and actually... I wrote in my notes that this is an intro verse one. We get to the real verse one afterwards. But up to this point, water filled your lungs. What's going on lyrically here? I don't want to say exactly who it's about, but there was another band around back then that we played shows with a ton that I greatly admired. 
And we played so many shows together that we became really good friends. And um, I thought they just wrote really cool songs. And we had a connection. One day I went to hang out with them where they uh, rehearse and whatnot. And we had to plan, like, let's jam. Let's all play together. So I went out there and uh, we must have played music for about 10 minutes before they whipped out the bong. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the night was literally just like delinquent stoner behavior. And I was so, I was so um, disappointed and, and dejected because it <laughs> devolved to the point where we were literally walking through the streets where these guys and their friends were swinging baseball bats at mailboxes. And I was just like, one of those nights. I was just like, that gave me a really weird, creepy vibe. And I just was heartbroken, you know, just disheartened by it. Because you were hoping this would turn into something more from a musical writing standpoint. It was going to be so fun. We were going to go and jam all night. Right. Like, that's what I like to do. And it was literally downstairs in a basement, like in the back room of this house, which is where they played. And uh, they started to just smoke a ton of pot. And uh, at that time, I had not yet started to develop that kind of habit too much. And it just felt weird. It just was a weird night. It was a weird night. So anyway, um, it's pretty, it's a very literal uh, verse until the flooding out your house part. And that's Mm -hmm. just, that's just kind of how I used to write lyrics with these um, pretty serious, uh, like dark disturbing images like i'm i'm i was a big fan of the smiths and it's the whole Mm -hmm. if a 10-ton truck kills the both of us kind of vibe that was that's where i'm coming from so if the water you know if i flooded out your house do you think you'd make it out and obviously burn up before the water fill your lungs so they're filling their lungs with smoke well, I'll tell you the the delivery you have here. It's interesting. You know, your your voice, especially back then, was really high. Uh, a lot of the, the the scene that you came from, a lot of the, the higher pitch vocals, and some of them were kind of whiny and just. To me, I just used the word they weren't believable. I just didn't feel it, and I believe what you're singing here. Oh yeah, I didn't really know what you're singing about, but I felt it. If that makes sense. Thanks, man. Thank that. Thank you for saying that. If if nothing else saves the day, has always been sincere. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's nothing there's nothing uh, even when a lyric is about something that's made up it's the heart the spirit of it is something coming from something true. Hey everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, 
artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. If you're looking for an inexpensive and unique gift for a friend, family member, or even for yourself, check out iloveenamelpins.com. From Hollywood stars like Jeff Goldblum and Meryl Streep, to fictional characters like the Golden Girls or Jack Torrance, to sports stars and musicians and politicians and dogs and cats, there's something for everyone at iloveenamelpins.com. As an added bonus, use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% off your order at iloveenamelpins.com. And now, back to the show. When you get to the part of the water filled your lungs on lungs, there's a guitar volume swell on the and the distorted A chord. It kind of oh god, it just comes up there and it's just, it's awesome. Now that's when it started to get to be really cool working with Rob because I mean bong load records like he he had a lot of experience <laughs> he had a lot of experience making like really cool sounding records and stuff that you wouldn't have tried in like a, a punk in a punk rock recording environment. Yeah, because he was stoned out of his mind. He should have hung out with the other band. So, <laughs> well, now when we when we recorded this, it's two years. It's probably two years after that night when we yeah. recorded it. And by now, saves the days going through two ounces of pot a week in the studio. <laughs> you know, so by the time we hooked up with Rob, we were like yeah. we were into that too. But no, we wouldn't be walking through the the neighborhood with the yeah. baseball bats. Um, can you, can you, you're like, can you show me that seventh chord again, man? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, <laughs> that was a really cool thing. Rob had the idea to, um, when, as that swell, that distorted guitar swell is happening, he said, um, let's record a guitar doing that and we'll bring it in with faders. But then I want you to play that chord on a piano and we're going to reverse it. Oh, cool. That's what I hear there. And so it's a rever- it's a reverse piano as the guitar is swelling in. And man, all oh, that that feels like a massive bong rip right there. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't know what that was. It just sounded like distorted good. I I knew there was something there, yeah. but that that is uh that's really and it's neat. really it's really cool to me too. Like the the guitar he had, I played the intro, the intro bit, the single note intro. Yeah, I played that part, and he had me play it. It was a Telecaster, and it was through some jazz amp. You know, if you listen to it, it's very soft and uh, yes, it's a, a like the notes being plucked are very jazzy, which was extremely yeah. different for us. And I thought that was a really cool way to open the album. You know, based on like the sound of Cancel Down and Through being cool, like talk about left field. You couldn't have picked a better lead off track for the record, yeah. in my opinion. And that, that jazzy, soft jazzy guitar notes and then mixed with the backwards piano. I just felt so cool to me. It is cool. And a lot of people don't know. Uh, I've heard this. I believe Rob Cavallo uh, told me. 
But uh, and if you go back and listen, you, you can't really hear it, but you can feel it. Uh, like Baba O'Reilly by The Who. Those are low piano chords behind those big Pete yeah. Townsend guitar chords. Oh, jing, dude, that's jing, sick. Jing. I didn't know that. You know. Oh my god! I just got chills. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that about a lot of those songs either. Yeah, they oh. were. That was getting that guttural low feeling. That is uh, so you're, sick. You're, you're not hearing it, but you're like, God dang! Why do those guitars sound so big? You know? Wow! And, I got rock and roll goosebumps. Yeah, that's it's it, it it's awesome. So when you said that, that reminded me of that. Um, at, at, at 39 seconds, we're still in the intro, but I'm considering this this the intro chorus. Yeah, it runs through the entire progression: verse, pre-chorus chorus half a chorus yeah and it's and that that was a rob schnaff special Mm -hmm. so we originally it was just going to do the whole chorus don't give it away and he's like no let's have a brian our drummer count off right there and let's cut the it'll be a teaser chorus and it's great because it's the perfect setup for getting in that verse because you're almost already a minute of the song if you would have went too much longer i think it would have been it would have been too long the stereo guitars come in here okay and it's just the g d a progression you were talking about at the top and at your funeral i will sing the requiem then right there you're talking about that hi-hat it's a one two one two three four on the hi-hat and then you're in What is this lyric uh, referring to, if you can? At, and at your funeral, I will sing the requiem. So it's like, let's say that that they chose to drown in the house and not and burn up down there, and then they're dead. Well, I cared so much about them. I would. It's uh, the lyric in the actual the full chorus is, "I'd offer you my hand, but it would hurt too much to watch you die." So it's still saying, "I care about you so much. If even if you wind up ruining your life, you know, at the funeral, I'll sing the requiem." You know, I, I, I would so, offer you I would so, offer you my hand, but it hurts too much to see you like this. You know, it was a very disheartening and strange dark night for me. For those guys, it's probably fucking rad as shit. They're just having fun. And... <laughs> Man, I wish I could write like that. It's so abstract that you took this weird evening with these guys getting baked and breaking up base, baseball bats over, <laughs> over the neighbor's mailboxes and you turned it into this type of lyric. And then again, you look at. At, at the difference of you're hearing the music and then if you watch the video forget about it what's going on behind the scenes but then you're, you're this fresh-faced kid singing this lyric the whole thing's like what is going on you know yeah. and that was one thing that always stuck out about you guys you mentioned it the, the sincerity but i remember early on i think it was may even have been in long island someone telling me if you heard this band saves the day this is late 90s you know their lyrics their lyrics their lyrics i always heard that about you guys and and uh that that that's evident here um oh at, thanks man at the 49 second mark we're in what i'm calling verse one this is when the song opens up here and yeah. uh, uh i'm going to go through these lyrics and talk about a couple things here and then we'll have you break them down this song will become the anthem of your underground you're two floors down getting high in the back room if i flooded out your house do you think you'd make it out or would you burn up before the water fills your lungs and what i love about this and i, I a moment ago i said have you set it up you've already set this up it's the same lyric as the top 
You yeah. just repeat it again, but it doesn't feel like it because the whole mood has shifted here. Yeah. I, I wrote in my notes that there's a killer swing on the drums that you got going to this part. Oh, yeah. It is oh, yeah. so danceable. And the bass line. The like, bass run. Oh, my God. Evan D'Amico was is such a talented bass player, and it was just such a, it was like ear candy. The bass run after the word underground in the first line here, through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, there's an amazing bass in the last line. Fill your lungs there, but um, this whole part was there ever any discussion between Rob or anybody else in the band yourself of wait we got to introduce another lyric here or was it just going to be the same thing? No, I don't know why that happened that way. Oh, I, re- I do. I have a memory of Ted, uh, Ted, our guitar player, Ted, and I lived together at the time. And we used to talk about the Beatles lyrics a lot. And, and we would analyze them. We'd be like, look, this, the first verse is like almost the same as the second verse. They like changed one word or something. And I think in our version of that, I changed the melody a little bit here and there mm-hmm. in this when we get to that, what we're calling verse one, when the band kicks in. I, all I did was change the melody, and that, that was enough. Well, I, I'll be honest. I, I think if you would have started this song, just a strumming guitar of D, A, E minor to G, and then tried to do this and come in, it, it wouldn't have worked. It's because the intro is so haunting with those single mm. notes and the, yeah. way, the way you're pushed back and singing. Now you're given another 20 25% of, of throat and a little grovel for the verse. The whole yeah. mood changes. The band's in with that swing of that drum. Oh, and the energy. The and the energy and, that, and, and the bass playing and what is going on there. You can get away with, with using the same lyrics because now it's a totally different uh, song. <laughs> yeah. it, it's great. I will never forget when we started playing that song live before the album came out. It was wild. It was palpable. Nobody had ever heard the song, but the entire room would just bust open when we kicked into that first verse. Yeah. After the after the intro. So there's just something magical about the energy of that. There's right. just something it just gets you it gets you lit. Well, the older that I've gotten, I've been able to appreciate this. You know, there was a time when it was like people would come up and and, and this is a good problem to have if they like your songs, fans. They'd say, "Oh man, your first record or this record." And I was like, "Yeah, but we just put out a new album, you know, like our uh-huh. new stuff." Well, with that said, it's like, you know what? Sometimes songs hit people and you just said it. You know, I, I used to make it a point to, if, to catch your set just for this song every day, at least in the Warped Tour, because oh, you yeah. watch your set. You guys have awesome songs. This isn't the only great song you have in your repertoire, but there's something about this tune. You'd watch your whole set when you guys would play this one. The audience would explode. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And you can't plan for that. And I'll never forget one night in Poughkeepsie. Uh, and this is before the album came out. We're sit, we're working with Vagrant, setting up the label. Our manager, Rich Egan, who also was the owner of Vagrant. Yeah, and and Rich managed face to face for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rich was in town randomly in Poughkeepsie one night, and we played that that song, and it was like, it was like five hundred kids losing their minds. Like it was like the craziest scene you'd ever seen when we when we blasted into that verse. After the show, Rich came up to me. He's like, well, that's got to be the single. Because before that, that wouldn't have felt like it might have probably felt more like a commercial song, like uh, one of the songs called Freakish. 
felt a lot more commercial and potentially radio friendly. Like back then, that was a thing, getting radio play and whatnot. saw the reaction that people had they couldn't control themselves he's like well that's got to be it mm-hmm. and still yeah anytime we play that's that's the song that where you can you can feel the electricity uh, I, I'll, I'll never get sick of it I, I seen you guys play it live or just hearing it in general i just i would make it a point i'd be like i hear it in the distance i'd go run i just i had to see the crowd every day and it was it didn't matter oh, where thanks, did, it didn't matter where you guys were at it was a, it was electric uh at one minute and 27 seconds we're in chorus number one sounds chris like uh like we're joined by another pair of stereo guitars here is that is that right yeah there's some there's definitely something sparkly that happens there it gets way bigger i'm not hearing like any noodly type overdubs i'm just hearing like the guitars lift one of the things that does that is because the entire verse and pre-chorus are played in that choppy chord progression right. um, like the so by the time we get to that it's very and you know what it's cool that you brought up the who because when we were working on this song that's the way we thought of the chorus we're like this chorus feels like the who (laughs) as a matter of fact at the very end of the song we play the we play the progression g d a and then brian does you know some cool drum fill oh yeah g we wanted it to be the who that's us like literally that's how we talked about it we were like at the end let's make it like the who and yeah. he's doing kind of keith moon drum parts and stuff yeah. we got three bar chords here how can we make it as big and as bombastic as we can and i think that's what it's doing just just the fact that we open up there and they're, they're i'm sure that rob would have like had ted or david or both kick on an extra fuzz pedal yeah because those chords you don't need you don't need to have the clarity uh, you could just crunch it up, so that's it's just like distortion pedals. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome, and and I want to read the whole lyric here and have you set it up, uh, and I want to talk about a couple things. And at your funeral, I will sing the requiem. I'd offer you my hand. It would hurt too much to watch you die. A couple interesting things here. Uh, first off, the feel of the whole band here, the bass groove is just incredible. This just feels real. It is just feel good. I mean, I'm a I'm a sucker for the '80s for for pop rock, and and there's just something just so major and poppy in it, but but still kind of heavy here. I just love it. There's harmonies on everything here, except on the end of Requiem. That was hard. What was up? What's up with that? Why wasn't there a harmony there? It's awesome. I was trying to crowbar harmony in there. And no matter what we would try, because the melody is like na 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 na, moving around too much on Requiem at the end on the EM of it, mm-hmm. 
because it goes down on hum. It goes up later. Yeah, we couldn't find, no matter what we tried, we couldn't find a harmony that complemented or made that melody better and didn't rub in the wrong way. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure Rob was like, well, just do the harmony for like wreck. The the wreck. Yeah, that's and then what's we, there. We left. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so and that was. Some, he's like, oh yeah, the Beatles would do that sometimes. He'll be like, sometimes they'll be in a harmony for half a line and then go into unison. Well, do you know how many times I've heard this song? And it wasn't until I broke it down and sat down and listened to it thirty times in the last couple of days, where I'm sitting here going, "There's something weird here. What am I hearing?" And I finally yeah. zoned in. I'm like, wait, there's no harmony. It's only in that one spot. It's awesome. Couldn't find it. That is not one of my strong suits. I'm not like a harmony guy. But also, we had Rob Schnaff there who knows music inside and out, and none of us could figure it out. Yeah. That's it's interesting. That is, that is so cool. Well, it's just nothing, nothing was satisfying. Nothing made it better, you know? Yeah. I love uh, out of chorus one, bang. You're immediately into verse two. We're at a minute and 47 seconds in the song here. You only have a minute and, and uh, about 15 seconds of the song left, okay? And you can bet when we mourn the death of you that night, uh, and then you do a call and response, just yourself, no harmony. You say, of you that night. Ooh, yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and then there's a harmony on the next line. They'll lay me on the dinner table. I will be the pig. On the line, I will be the pig. There's no harmony, which I find is really cool there. That's the first time in the in the uh, verses where you're getting some harmonies, but they're kind of, uh, you know, they're they're not in the same places. Touch they're and just, go. Touch and go. It's perfect. Um, and this verse also has one less line than verse one. I love that, too. Was that something mm. in the original song or something that Rob had said, hey, maybe we should trim this? Because you talked about trimming the fat. Was that one of the parts? No, I don't remember this having one less line, does it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That must have just been how it felt like it needed. You know how you're you're sitting down with a song and even if you try to uh, put an extra few bars in there, mm-hmm. the, the song itself is like, no, 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 no. Let's get to the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one last line here. And then we get to pre-chorus two which is with the apple in my mouth, the food that celebrates your end and with the apple in my mouth there's a harmony and there's only a harmony on the last two words your end here uh which, which is killer so verse two and pre-chorus two the whole thing i just read set these lyrics up where, where are you at now where, where are you coming from here so this is just this is me now riffing my uh, i was trained in creative writing i did poetry uh, as an elective in high school and my teachers thought I was talented enough. They put me up for the governor's school in New Jersey. I got selected to be in the creative writing department or creative writing program at the governor's school of New Jersey. And this is the summer after we made the first saves of day tape. Uh, I had just started writing poetry and they sent me to this amazing program that was at the college of New Jersey for a summer. I wound up winning the governor's medal for that. And then I went to NYU and I continued to study creative writing. So it was just in my training, you know, and so at NYU every single night, I have a creative writing assignment. So I was just 
I was trained as a poet, and so... You, you, you finally unlocked the mystery, Chris, of why I'm not a great lyricist. Yeah. I never took creative <laughs> writing. Damn it! Yeah, I, I had a lot of in, in, absolutely incredible training at a very high level. That's cool. And Yeah, and I'm, I'm really lucky, very fortunate for that, because uh, it's, it's been a lifeline, a, a way for me to process my own emotions, and uh, it's just so, such joy to get to be artistic about you know expressing your feelings or, or even understanding your own feelings. So another reason why this song is uh, hella dark, this record is where life became life became very serious for me after we had a near-death experience while we were touring for Through Being Cool. We flipped our van yes. and almost almost died in the blink of an eye, thought that I was going to die. And if you have, have you ever had one of those? I, I did. I got uh, in a car accident many years ago and I, I saw my life flash before my, literally flash before my eyes. I never had that happen, yeah. but I, I've heard people talk about that and I had it happen once. It's scary as fuck. And if you talk like it changes, it changes you. Mm -hmm. And um, I went from being basically like a fresh faced kid out of high school to having the time of my life on tour with my, with my buds to almost dying in the blink of an eye, freaked out my family. Uh, we totaled that van. So if you looked at the van, you'd be like, there's no way they survived. And I just like, just the experience, the sheer terror of that experience opened my eyes to uh, life and life and death. Yeah. Well, that's, and so Im geez. immediately, so at your funeral, like that's just a sign of how I had changed. So the uh, through being cool is like a fun loving let's go fucking let's go get in a car and go play rock and roll shows and i miss my girlfriend and you know and then all of a sudden it's at your funeral and uh the lyrical imagery was getting a lot more dark it's because i was dealing with a scary just scary psychological shit you know when when you're a kid it's not as if you walk around thinking about mortality it's you know what i mean you're just sort of floating through life yeah no especially yeah at that age and then something like that happens uh, you're faced with mortality when you you've never thought about it before it's a trip yeah exactly so the whole album has that darkness there's a darkness to stay what you are and that would that stayed with me for the entire decade of of my my 20s it was it was like all all the everything i was writing about in my 20s is like very dark well, and I, I hate to ever think that you had to you had to go through that van accident, but it kind of shaped oh, your, for your, sure. your career. It, it really did. 100%. I would guys, never take that away. I mean, there was nobody, um, I mean, there was a lot of bands that you guys, and you know them all. I mean, the, the, I, I, could, I could name, you know, off the top of my head, 30 bands from, from that area, uh, New York, Jersey, all the way up to New England that were around that same time period. But you guys definitely were doing, were doing your own thing. Um, at the end of verse two here, uh, verse two into what I'm calling pre-chorus two. We're now at two minutes and 16 seconds. We're at chorus two, the final chorus of the song, which is the first time you get a double chorus here. Yeah.
are the same both times as they, as they had been. Why, uh, if it's not broke, why fix it? And I'm going to ask you: Was there <laughs> was there ever any like on on the on the double chorus here on the second half? Did Rob or you ever think, you know what, we need to stick another lyric in here? Or was it just perfect the oh, way it was? Oh no, it's worked. Yeah, it worked. It's a, it's a very much a Beatles thing. I mean, if you if you examine the Beatles songs, the formations that they use are just so tightly put together um, and they're very like classic pop formats. And before this, I had no interest in the structure of songs, but I became very fascinated in the structure of songs once I got into the Beatles and you'll see the Beatles, sometimes their songs will only have two parts, Mm -hmm. you know, and it'll be verse, chorus, verse, instrumental, double chorus, done. And their songs are like two minutes and, you know, mm-hmm. Beatles songs are like two minutes and 30 seconds long. Well, a lot of times their bridges will be the same chorus as the verse with a completely different melody line. Tricks like it, that. Yeah. Where you're like, wow. Oh, just love those tricks. And But what's cool is that the turnaround of the double chorus, Eben does some sick bass line. Brian does some really fun, energetic drum fill. And then I, when we were demoing the song in my my basement in New Jersey, I had come up with this, the song, like I was saying earlier, the song, the end of the song, the chords felt like the who, but there was also, we were listening to a lot of Oasis and there was also, it felt a little bit like it could have been like a super ripping Oasis song from like one of their early records. And I had come up with this guitar part to put on top of that second chorus in the double chorus. So that's all. That's all it needed was that's just an oasis thing. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to talk about that. So the again, the first half of this chorus, the first part of the double chorus, uh, everything's pretty much the same here. There's no harmony on the the end of Requiem uh, again. And but I love here, I love the change on the word watch. You go up there on watch. Oh yeah. That just kind of lifts this. It's subtle. I also love the first uh, half of the chorus here on die. You go die. Oh yeah. That's the Axl Rose thing. There you go. (laughs) I'll never forget. So I used to, I used to love doing stuff like that. I used to love doing stuff like that. And um, Steve encouraged like little, little vocal flares like that. Rob did not like Axl (laughs) Axl Rose. He's like, he's like, you're doing the Axl Rose thing. (laughs) You're like, yeah, and but it's cool. Like, oh, yeah. But so if I think it's the only time on the album that I, I do an Axl Rose. Oh, dude, I, 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 I love that part. And then the second half here uh, of the double chorus, which is a, 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 another full chorus, at the end of Requiem here, you go up in the melody on M. You go up there. Oh, yeah. details it makes this rear end of this chorus just lift and it's just I, I just got chills again because that's the kind of stuff that's why i'll never be bored with music because like you say it'll be like the tiniest little detail the tiniest change can really make a huge difference and that's just so fun sometimes i can't hear it but i feel it and i go why is that sound different right and it takes oh. me sometimes 10 15 listens and finally i'm like ah he just goes up on that last you know, tail end. I know exactly what you mean. We have a, a 90s cover band here. Of awesome. A few of my friends in Chico. And we'll do the same thing. We'll be like playing some song like Everclear, a band, I, like a song I didn't like in high school, but now we're like, it's so much fun. And we'll <laughs> notice like, God, 
they're just changing this one thing at the in the last 20 seconds of the song but god damn does that have an impact no it does and and again on the last line here it would hurt too much to watch you die on watch you go up on that second time yeah. as you did the first it's only two times in the song it happens but it lifts there And then here, the, to end it, we've, we've kind of you've kind of touched on it already. Uh, it's the big rock ending as the band rings out. It's the big G, D, A chords with the drum hits uh, and fills interspersed in there. And then the song ends uh, with that feedback fading yeah. out. Yeah. And Oof. then it's just it's per, the the feedback is so again it's it's it doesn't seem like uh, it, it it's that uh, effective or crazy, but it's perfect for this song and the sentiment. It's it's like it's burning out. Isn't that cool? It, it's some emotion, the emotional echo mm-hmm. of like the, the emotional experience of the song hanging in the air for you. At, and I think that's the first time we ever used feedback on an album. I'm pretty sure. And we're used, and it's just like uh, Jimi Hendrix would use feedback in, as a, in a musical sense, you know, not just as a malfunction or whatever. Yeah, and in this sense, it's almost like this was a, like a feedback sample. That's what it feels like. I remember we played the last chord and we went in into into the uh, the room with all the amplifiers and just turned that fucker up as loud as it could go. You could hear it in the control room <laughs> yeah. through the all this, um, That's and awesome. just let it ring like it would ring for a thousand years if you let it. Well, uh, man, we're uh, we're gonna wrap up here in a moment. I it was so much fun to to go through this tune. Oh, I had a fucking blast too. I love your podcast, man. This is the kind of shit like. Being a fellow musical nerd, <laughs> this is the this is the good shit. This I is like, didn't this realize is how I didn't realize how much I was gonna love doing this uh, podcast till I started doing it, and it's oh, just it's, so it's, rad, it's man. such a joy because I get to nerd out with my friends and and uh, I meant everything I said. I love this track, and congratulations on on all of your success. It's it's so deserved. And before we go, just leave the listeners with what's going on with uh, with you and Saves today. What's happening? I mean, writing a lot of music. Good. So writing a lot of Good. music and extremely excited to uh, make another album. And uh, I'm also interested in doing solo projects and stuff like that. I would say I would imagine the first next thing that we do is put out some new music. That's so awesome. I'm really excited to work on that because I got a trillion songs and ideas. That's great news. Well, sounds good, man. Thank you so much for uh, for stopping by today. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you other Chris off camera, off, off mic. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This was uh, an honor and a, a total blast. Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one-hit wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the one-hit thunder or was nothing more than a one-hit blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. 
If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Dear Soldier from Perth, Western Australia. Formed in 2016 by frontman Rohan Martin and joined by prominent Perth musicians Brandon Richards and Brad Forbes. Here's a snippet of their song, Demons. And Chris. All right, Chris. Well, I know that this episode is one that me and most of the people that I'm friends with and grew up with are really, really going to like. I know I really liked it. I've been a fan of Saves the Day since Can't Slow Down, since the first album that I randomly picked up in a record store and bought, had maybe heard a little bit about it, saw that it was on Equal Vision at the time. And just as Chris talked about in this episode, the evolution of Saves the Day from album to album, from Can't Slow Down to Through Being Cool to Stay What You Are, and then after that, In Reverie and on. It's crazy how much the band evolved from album to album, but I think that Stay What You Are is my favorite, and I think you guys are right. I think this is the best Saves the Day song. Yeah, they, you know, and I... I I'm afraid and I'm cautious to say that to people because, you know, th- this band has a lot of great songs. That, that's they not do. to undermine the rest of their catalog. But there's something just special about this song. I, I, I say I think that's a perfect word special. And I uh, I feel my band has that. A lot of bands, they have that one signature special song that for whatever reason, lyrically, musically, emotionally, it just it resonates with uh, with the fans. Yeah, I mean, I could easily have said that about any song on this album it's just the one that really stood out and seemed to be their most popular song and like you said chris when they played live shows people get hyped for the for this song for sure but uh i thought this album from front to back is a masterpiece i remember when this album came out punchline was on our first ever full u.s tour and someone burnt us a copy and i remember listening to this over and over and over in the van and it became like this classic album among my friends and I. And I think a big part of that, okay, a huge part of it is the songwriting and the lyrics. The The whole band was amazing. You know, Chris gave credit to Eben, the bassist, mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm a bassist, and the bass lines on this album are phenomenal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a band, amazing. But Chris, as a songwriter, incredible. One of the best songwriters of our world of music, but also pairing up with a producer who wasn't one of those producers that you're always talking about who produced every band from the scenes albums they went with a left field producer and you could hear it in this recording yeah i think it was the perfect storm i think that you know not to take anything away from steve evitz the their original producer but it was like uh, this guy came in and and, and kind of uh, took them in a slightly different direction musically. He came from a little different of a background, and and uh, it really pushed Chris uh, Chris with the writing with this. I think it was the I think it was the perfect storm. You know, Chris said that if nothing else, saves the day is always sincere in their songs and their lyrics. That's how he put it, and I think this recording reflects that. Something about the sound of this is so warm, and yeah, it's not 
overly distorted guitars. You're hearing all the nuances of the guitars on this mm-hmm. album. And it would have been easy at that time. You had the bands with the in your face, loud <laughs> guitars where you're not hearing those little things. He, he, in there yeah. I thought that was a, a, a perfect, well, a very poignant thing that he said about the, uh, you know, turning back the, the, the distortion a little bit. So you can hear those chords. So with those little nuances of those seventh chords, they breathe, you can hear them. They don't get, they don't get lost in the, uh, in the noise of the distortion. And at something as a, a younger musician, I, I never thought about uh, that. I, that I had to learn. And, you know, I was also cautious of saying this, to, to bands uh, certainly saves the day has had phenomenal success they're they're known around the world but I, I always felt like this was one band that could have been another rung or two up the ladder in terms of popularity I don't I don't feel they uh, they got their just due it's like everyone I know thinks saves the day is especially these these albums this album in particular is one of the greatest ever yeah. so despite the fact that they were and are a popular band. I do agree that they should have been on the level of any anybody out there. I, I, I Blink One Eighty Two, whoever. Like they should have been that big based on the songwriting. But you know, you never know what goes on. There's there's a lot of luck involved. There's a there's a lot of things that go into like astronomical levels of popularity. But on a selfish level, as a listener, <laughs> this is going to sound somewhat shitty in a way, but I don't mean it that way. But, you know, Chris, we've talked about how when bands become mega popular, sometimes the albums aren't as good. (laughs) And sometimes you need that struggle or pain or something to to keep writing great songs. And it's not that I wish that on Chris or Saves Day or anything, but there's something about their music that always resonates with me and people that I know, you know, and, and, and I don't know if that would have still came through if they were billionaires, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to that point is what Chris said, you know, he, unfortunately they had to go through that near uh, death experience with the van accident uh, for him to be able to channel that uh, into his writing. And it's just when, when right. you, <laughs> you know, you explain the video, just go back and watch that video. If you haven't, this is for all the listeners. If you have not seen this video, go, go check it out. Here's this fresh, face kid uh, front and center with this crazy imagery going on behind him that he spoke about with these lyrics with this like dark at the top of the song but yet goes into this poppy just really danceable song with these gnarly bass lines that you're talking about it 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 almost seems like it shouldn't work together but it works beautifully yeah it's funny too man because even from that can't slow down album the lyrics stood out it was a very like punk rock album but the lyrics stood out as being unique they didn't necessarily rhyme and they really stood out and then when you opened up the booklet and you saw the band you're like that's the singer that kid he's like the same age as me (laughs) you know he was he was kind of the first peer of ours of my friend group that was in a band that we all love like chris we loved less than jake but you guys were a few years older than us so you weren't necessarily our peers you were you know if anything you were like our (laughs) when we got to met you were like almost like our uncles or something (laughs) but like this dude was this dude was like our age and writing like these insightful and poignant lyrics and yeah i didn't know the thing about him 
going to NYU on the poetry or whatever he, he said no, he went cre- for. Cre- cre- creative writing. I've never heard anybody uh, reference that before. And, it, and if they did do creative writing, they they probably wouldn't have admitted it or thought that it uh, it, it helped them with their lyrics. But he was very complimentary and, and thankful for having gone through that. I'm also glad that you called us the uncles uh, versus uh, your dad's Tuesday night bowling buddies. That's a little bit better. <laughs> no, no. You were you're only like a few years older than us. But as a kid, as a teenager, before you're even fully grown and you're looking at grown men, play is what I mean like you did seem older but Chris when I first found out who he was he was a kid oh gosh I know know, I know and uh so that's really cool I thought Chris's story about I'm interested in what band I have a few theories on which bands it might be (laughs) but I'm not going to throw those out there people can make their own uh guesses about that but I thought it was so funny that weed would have affected these guys this way. It sounds like <laughs> he's given the description of like, if guys are like doing Coke or smoking crack or something and going out and going crazy, most people I know they're going to smoke weed are going to like chill out. Yeah. It's never been a creative thing for me. I'm jealous of people that can smoke weed and be creative. For me, it was always, if I smoked weed, it's like, I don't feel like doing anything. Yeah, well, I mean, and very rarely do you see someone smoke weed and want to go out and take out uh, all the neighborhoods of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So I thought that was uh, funny and strange. Uh, a couple other little things from this episode that I thought were cool, Chris, and we've talked about this before, but dude, it's still to this day, I'm learning this more and more. And you think I would know this by now, but you talked about how the tiniest little changes, the little subtle things in songs can make all the difference in the world. And sometimes you don't even notice it until you dig in like you do, Chris, uh, in preparation for the episodes, or if you listen in some headphones or you listen in a good car stereo, you might pick up on these things. But as you mentioned, sometimes you just feel it and you don't know why you're feeling this difference, but it doesn't need to be this like obvious change. These subtle things can make a real difference. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I thought that was cool. And I also thought that it was cool that he talked about, because I I've talked about this too, because I think it's awesome when bands or artists use feedback almost as an instrument, like in a musical sense. And an example that I thought of that I always loved, you know, when I was younger, I still love it. But band from the same world who we, we've had on here before, the first Get Up Kids song I ever heard was a song called A Newfound Interest in Massachusetts. And it's a very chill, vibey song that doesn't really kick in until the end. But there is this feedback that comes in and the feedback itself before it kicks in creates such an emotion, such a visceral feeling that I think it's so cool to be able to use feedback in that way and not just as noise. Yeah, no, and and in this case, I even said this almost sounds like it ends with a not not that it was contrived or fake, but it sounds like it's a sample. Like it was meant to be there at the end, how it fades out, and it's just it it works perfect with the sentiment of and the lyric of the song. Amazing song, amazing album. I highly encourage anyone if you happen to not be familiar with this album, with "Stay What You Are." It's as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the ten best albums ever. You should definitely check it out. And Chris, you had mentioned this episode that you play or have played this song live and which is which is kind of crazy because 
it seems like, you know, you and Saves the Day are from the same world, but I, I don't think about you playing a Saves the Day song. It's not something that I envision. No, I know. I, I This had come on shuffle one day uh, before this solo tour I had planned in like 2014. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at that. And it, man, it's up in my register. It's it's pretty high <laughs> for, yeah. for, me to, for me to climb on some of these notes. But uh, yeah, it's a really fun song. I, I just love playing it. Can I put you on the spot a little bit and ask if you will perform it in the rap here? Well, I, you know, I, I, I had told you that I would, and I'm going to try my best. If I, if I fudge a note or two here, uh, don't hold, don't hold it uh, <laughs> against me. But let me, let me grab the old guitar here. You're, you're um, a good sport, man. You're a good sport. I, I try, I try. Uh, if you're still, if, if you're listening to this episode, Chris Conley, uh, bear with me here. I'm going to try to <laughs> not try to murder your song. Let me, uh, let me get a little. Uh, We'll sauce on my vocal here so it's not so dry. And uh... all right, take one. This song will become the anthem of your underground. Your two flows down, getting high in the back room. If I put it at your house. Yeah. 
good job, man. Uh, and the crowd goes mild. <laughs> no, your crowd of one. I love how many times I've got to be a crowd of one yeah. to you. And then uh, this is very special. I feel very special. And then all the listeners will hear. That'll be uh, that'll be great. Well, thanks for thanks for uh, encouraging me to play the song. I didn't didn't uh, you you had asked me the other day if, if I, what I thought about. It. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So. Yeah, I, I tried to pretend like I really put you on the spot, but we actually talked about you doing that ahead of time. Just opening the curtain a little bit here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and speaking of opening things, Chris, I want to say thanks to everybody out there who opens their hearts to us each week and for the past year and a half. Thanksgiving's coming up on Thursday, and uh, I can't be more thankful for the listeners of the podcast. I share the exact same sentiment. Thanks to each and every one of you out there for all your continued support. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely thankful for you. Thankful for you each week tuning in. Thankful for all the guests. Thankful for you, Chris, for all the hard work yeah. you do <laughs> in front of us, behind the scenes and everything else. Thank you. I'm thankful for you too, man. You're truly the host with the most. And uh, you do a great job, man. I tell you each week, and I feel like you're getting better each week, too. And not to be a broken record here, beat a dead horse, but I'm going to. If you haven't already, please join our Facebook group. Krista makes a podcast Facebook group. It's awesome. It's fun. Join almost to 4,000 members. I want to hit 4,000 by January of 2022, Chris. We got two months. Come on. Let's do it. We can do it. Absolutely. If you haven't already, give me a follow as well on Instagram at less than Chris D. And I want to thank this week's guest, Chris Conley for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week. If you're a fan of fierce, honest, in-your-face rock music, check out Another Cheetah. Based out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, Another cheetah lives to plug in, turn up, and rock out. Why do I You'd be much someone else. Another cheetah streaming now on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever else you listen to music. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hello out there. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. We want to tell you about our podcast, None But the Brave, which is dedicated to taking a deep dive into the work of Bruce Springsteen. We're currently in our fifth season. Our latest episodes focus heavily on Bruce's 2024 tour and have featured such guests as Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network, and Barstool's Kirk Minahan. We're also covering the 40th anniversary of Bruce's biggest record, Born in the USA. And as part of that, coming up this week, Uproxx cultural critic Stephen Hyden returns to the show for a fascinating hour-long conversation about his new book, 
There was nothing you could do. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA and the End of the Heartland. To listen, you can go to our website, mbtbpodcast.com, or subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform. We hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.